is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that will be your testimony again today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I trust God that somebody listening to this from somewhere is going to receive healing. Today in the name of Jesus. Let's turn our Bible to the book of Luke chapter 14. Um, we are beginning to round off the series. It's coming to an end that we have been on for some time on the uh, select ones that God uses. The select ones that God uses. What I've been trying to do all this while is just to ensure that Christians understand that they have to make themselves ready for God to use. They have to make themselves people that God can use for his purpose. The fact that you have given your life to Christ does not automatically translate into being useful to God. That is an introduction to the whole thing. He said, talking about the prodigal son, he said, your brother who was dead has now begun to live. I like that expression from the new American standard. That lets us know that even though the man had come back home, he had to learn the process of living in the house. He had to make himself useful to the father. He had to get the procedures of the house in order. It's very important we understand it. So the fact that you give your life to Christ Jesus does not mean you are going to be useful for God just like that. You have to now work upon yourself. You have to work upon your character. You have to work on your life, everything about you, your faith, your works. Your habits, all those things must be developed so that you will be useful for the Lord. You have to be careful that you work on that. Don't just leave things lying fallow. The fact that you left Egypt does not mean you will enter into the promised land. That's something we must understand. He said all of them were baptized in the wilderness. That is, they passed through the Red Sea, which for us, for them, was a form of baptism. He said, yet with many of them, God was not pleased, and their carcasses were laid low in the wilderness. And that's one thing we must bear in mind. Even though God is kind, God is good, God is also just. We have established that again and again. Our God is good, our God is kind, but he's also just. It's so important Christians bear it in mind. Paul said, walk out your own salvation with fear and with what? Trembling. You must do that. He said, our, the Lord our God is a consuming fire. He was writing to Christians. Christians must take their Christian work seriously. You can't be like a daisical about it. You can't make it look like God is doing you or you are doing God a favor by going to church. You can't make it look like you are doing God a favor by walking righteously. You have no other choice if you are going to make it in eternity. If you are going to be established all right, in righteousness, it's something you must work on deliberately. Don't assume that you just fall in line. You know? I like what Peter said. He said, these qualities are yours and are increasing. You can't just assume that because I've given my life to Christ, everything is now in order. You must ensure that the qualities are not only yours, but they are what? They are increasing. So that's what we're talking about it. Christians, we must ensure that we are useful to God. I've said this again and again. Everybody will be used by God for something. Even if you are useless, your uselessness will be taken advantage of. So when we're talking about being used by God, we are talking about being used for the real reason. For the reason he gave you life. When God is forming each person, he has his own destiny that he has prepared. That's what we call the will of God. It's part of the, um, the uh, package that we call the will of God. The destiny that God has established for each person. 
However, at the same time, please listen to this. At the same time, and I'm going to use the word Satan for a moment, okay, just to help this thing come out clear. At the same time, Satan is writing his own, trying to take advantage of people. For example, he will come to you and tempt you. As God really said, I need to explain this. You will establish the destiny of God. You will be able to walk in God's destiny for your life if you follow him on a daily basis. So what Satan does is to take you away from that destiny. What Satan does is to bait you away from that destiny. And how does he do it? Through his temptation. So he comes to you and says, has God really said you should not do this? Now, if you follow, now, this is what I want to explain. If you follow the suggestions of Satan, then you start walking in the will of Satan, in the plan of Satan. You become useful in Satan's agenda. God will allow that. God will say, go ahead, do as you have wished. He said, Ephraim has joined himself to idols. Okay, leave him alone. So God will allow that. Okay, when people decide to join themselves to idols, God will leave them. Then they begin to serve the purpose of God, of, of, um, let me use the expression again, the purpose of Satan for their lives. Now, listen to this. That does not mean that was what God planned for them initially. What I mean is this. God did not create Judas to betray Jesus Christ. He didn't do that. He had a noble purpose for the life of Judas. But Judas decided he was going to be a thief. Judas decided that he was going to be a devil. And because of that, he served for God an ignoble purpose. What God does is that, like the Bible says, Solomon said it, God has made everything for a purpose. That is, God has something for every individual. He said, even the wicked for their role in the day of destruction or the day of evil. What it means is that if God wants to do what is bad to somebody, bad in quotes, now if he has to do, um, execute his judgment against people, he will not send a good man to go and do it. He will say, okay, we want to betray Jesus Christ. We will not send Peter. Peter was too dedicated to the Lord. We will not even send Thomas. Thomas, there are many of us called doubting Thomas. If you check the lineup of the, the apostles of Jesus Christ, he was one of the most de- devoted he was the one that said, let us go there and go and die with him. When the other one said, let us not go when we're going to Bethany to raise up um, Lazarus from the dead. It was Thomas that said, hmm, okay, if he wants to die, let's follow him. They will kill all of us. It was Thomas. So don't look at him as a doubting man. He was a man of zeal. He was a man who loved the Lord. It's just that it was overwhelming for him, for somebody that he saw them kill. He saw dead and he saw them bring down from the... Um, um, from the cross, you not tell him that he's alive. It was just overwhelming for him. The point I'm making is that so God couldn't send a Thomas to go and betray Jesus. He said, who will betray Jesus? Somebody has to do it. Purpose must be fulfilled. I mean, the, pro- the prophecies of God must be, all right, fulfilled. Who will do that? He said, let's look for somebody. Now listen to this. God did not take Judas as a good man and convert him to a bad man so that he might fulfill the purpose of God. He didn't do that. What he did was that at the beginning when he was choosing 12 disciples, apostles, he said, pick one person who is a bad person. So Jesus said, I have chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil. From the beginning, that Judas was a devil. That was why he came into the ministry, and he was stealing. He was stealing. All the offerings they would collect, that things they would be given, Judas was building a house back at home. He would keep some of them aside and send them to um, his family to complete the decking. He would keep some of them aside, and you know, people were devoting themselves to the Lord. What he did not know, and let me say this quickly, everybody bear it in mind. As you are doing what is wrong, nobody is seeing. What you are doing is that you are making yourself available for a bad job. You are making yourself available for a bad job. Nobody is seeing what you are doing. (laughs) 
You don't realize it. What is happening is that the day a terrible thing will want to happen, the heavens will find you useful for a bad assignment. Let me say something to you. I believe very strongly. Judas did not think. Now, this is my opinion. The Bible didn't say it. The Bible didn't say the opposite anyway. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how people fall into evil and not realize it. Judas did not think Jesus would be successfully taken and crucified. Do you know why? They have tried to arrest him more than 10 times in his presence. And he has seen him disappear. The truth is that many times, mark what I want to say. Many times they will say Jesus is in this room. They will go in there and they won't find him. Why? It was not yet his time. It was not Jerusalem. There are times people, the crowd will come, let us push him over the cliff. They'll get to the edge of the cliff. And they look at for the man that they followed down here just now. And he's no longer with them. That was how it was with Jesus Christ. And Judas knew. So you know what he was trying to do? He's called 419 in today's Nigeria. He wanted to job those men that will collect the money. I will deliver Jesus to them. Jesus will escape. And it's not my fault. I did my portion of the, the assignment. I showed him this is him. You arrested him at night. They woke up in the morning. The jail cell was empty. <laughs> in Arana, what's my problem? Is that one? What's my problem? I've delivered. So to his surprise, they took Jesus. To his surprise, they beat him and he bled. To his surprise, they gave him to the Romans, and those who hung him on the cross, and he was bleeding. And Judas was looking like, what is going on here? That was why he ran back to the temple and said, take your money. This is blood money. Money of the, for the blood of the innocent. Those ones say, hey, how is our problem? That was what he was planning to tell them. They now turned to him and said, how is our problem? It's your money. He was so remorseful that he took the whole money and threw it on the floor. That's why you hear many people say, there are people who are on death row. They've been tried. Do you follow? They've been convicted. And they are waiting for the hangman. What happened? Somebody just told them that, ah, just give us the whereabouts of your guy, and you get one million naira. That's what they told him. I didn't think anything would happen. Unfortunately, his boss was kidnapped and was killed. And police found the kidnappers. And they said, how did you get the information? They said, it's the gate man. They arrested the gate man, charged him with murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and he was found guilty. And the man is looking like, what happened here? He's, that is, he's on death row and wondering what happened. Many people are in trouble. For such, the other day I was watching something on TV. A young man who was sentenced to, to prison for seven years. What happened? Somebody just annoyed him in the traffic. So they started running, driving rough. He ran that one off the road. That one hit a pole. There was a pregnant woman in the car. She miscarried. And in that state in the U.S., they said that is manslaughter. The young 17 or 18-year-old boy found himself charged for involuntary manslaughter, sent to seven years' imprisonment. That is why, don't think that it is when it is time to make the decision, the real decision. That's why you now say, like one man of God said, that he used to think that he will live his life riotously, and then when it is time to die, he will ask Jesus for forgiveness, and then Jesus will forgive him, and that's it. He will have gained the whole world and gained heaven. You understand my point? Okay. Then God said, let me teach you a lesson. You know what God did for him? He sent him into an accident. As a cow was stumbling, something like that happened to him. He said he could not open his mouth. 
He survived that one. He realized that his plan was not going to work. <laughs> he quickly went and repented. He said, this Jesus is a very wicked one. You can't, you think you're smart? Some people think that they have sense and God does not have. You think you have sense and God doesn't have. You will live right out of the gen just before you die. You now give your life to Christ. And Jesus will be there waiting, say, give me the life ahead. All right, lie, lie. The Jesus I know, when you now want to do it, he will let you know, oh, no, it's too late. Say, save me. He said, not today. Today is not the day of your salvation. It was yesterday. He said, Lord, but I'm confessing you as Lord. He said, I'm not listening to you. It's too late. People think that it's any time you come. God, no. There is a day of salvation. They used to tell us when we were young. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. That is not a lie. People think they can just wake up anytime and say, it's time I want to repent. Listen, everybody listen to me. Let me tell you something. God has given you a final date. After that, there is no hope. One of two things will happen. There are those that, that final date, once they cross it and they have not done the proper thing, the Lord will kill them. Or, or hand them over to Satan. Say, Satan, take this one, eat him. They now say, witches kill somebody. Witches say, why would, if they gave you food, won't you eat it too? Some others, God won't kill. No. Say, no, no, let him not die. Leave him alive. The angels will say, why? There's something I want to use him for. So this fellow will live the next 20 years. What many people will not know. Please don't judge anybody like this. You don't know, only God knows. What many people will not know is that God sealed his destiny 20 years ago. He said, the assignment I want to use you for in 20 years' time. Good people don't do such things. How will a good man take 6 million people and systematically slaughter them in the name of Adolf Hitler? Normal people don't do such things. So God will say, you see, when I have such an assignment... The people that will be used, they will have been condemned before then. Then their corpse is what is walking around. So he says to Pharaoh, for this cause I raised you up. You were supposed to die at the age of 35. Your iniquity was plenty. You had done so much evil. I was supposed to judge you and kill you at 35. But I needed somebody in whom I will show my power. I will show my glory. So I raised you up to become Pharaoh. Go and read the story of Adolf Hitler. If you read his story, you'll be amazed at the miraculous interventions that saved his life many times. And it convinced him that he was called of God. It convinced him that what he was going to do, that God sent him to do it. It convinced him that he was doing the right thing. What he did not know is this principle I'm teaching. That repent before it is too late. Repent before God says concerning you, no chance anymore. Repent before God removes the ability to repent from you. I hope you know he can, he can do that. He said to Isaiah, go and deaden the ears of these people. Make their hearts dull. Say to them, hear but don't understand. See but don't perceive. The people were callous after that. There was nothing you could do they could not repent. So I say to everybody, listen to me again. There is a day of salvation. It does not extend forever. It's a day. Once you use the word day, it has a beginning. It has an end. Let everybody be warned. So like we're saying, every believer must make sure that he's not used for these negative purposes. 
Paul said to Timothy, cleanse yourself of all the defilements. When you do that, you will become a vessel unto honor, prepared for every good work. The one that the master can use for a good work. That is what we believers are supposed to be doing with ourselves. And what we are teaching in this series is what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to be careful so that we can be people that are prepared for good works? So we can be people that God can use for the reason he created us exactly. So that we can serve his purpose in each, in each of our lives. Very important. So let's continue reading. We began to look at that um, for some uh, weeks ago now. And I'm, like I said, I'm coming to the end of that series. Then we'll go on to something else. The book of Luke chapter what? 14. He said from verse 25, or let me see. Okay, let's start from verse 25. Now loud crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross... And come after me cannot be my disciple. Please notice these things he's saying. One, he must hate his own father and mother and wife and children. Let me just quickly read that in the Amplified um, Bible so that we'll see the, the, the sense he's trying to bring out from there. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude towards God. So the hate there is not that take a gun and shoot somebody. What he was saying is that the fellow shouldn't have such a high regard for any of these people when compared with his attitude towards God. He said there should be such indifference. When you are checking how dedicated this fellow is to God, it will appear as if he's indifferent to these other people. So he said, let him hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, very important, even his own life. Even his own life. Except he does that, he cannot be my disciple. 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross, you must understand, is not comfort. It's not a thing of comfort. The cross was load, and it's a sign that you are going to die. Nobody carries a cross except it's going to Golgotha. I hope you're getting my point here. When you talk about carrying your cross, you are carrying your death sentence on yourself. That's what they say. It's like saying, carry your hangman's noose and follow me. That was what Jesus was saying. Carrying your cross meant that you are putting yourself under a sentence of death. Let's follow that. He said, if you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, now please notice this verse 28, which one of you who wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? 
He said, or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Please notice that. He must first give up everything that he owns, the right to himself. He said, therefore, verse 34, salt is good, but if even salt has become saltless, with what will it be seasoned? In summary, 35, it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. The only thing left is for it to be thrown out where men trample, of course, Jesus said in another place, underfoot. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, let's just read this one briefly before I pass comments there. Luke chapter 9, the same book of Luke. Let's just go to the bottom of chapter 9. From verse 57, the same thing, the same thought. He said, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. One of those disciples who have been following the ministry said, now I want to dedicate myself to you fully. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And that one came up and the Lord answered him. The Lord said to him, follow me. But he said, Lord, I would like to follow you. But permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand on the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, these are the important scriptures that I want to use to talk to us believers today. Let's look at the lessons that the Lord was speaking to us in these places. Now, what am I going to say? Except we fulfill this, we're not useful to him. We can live a good life. Don't ever forget it. Nobody is saying you will not live a good life. But to really be useful to the Lord, for the reason why he gave you life, you have to fulfill these things. Let me start from a negative side. First, I think we have wrongly preached the gospel to people. We Christians, we preachers, all of us, not just um, any preacher, but all of us Christians. Over the last few decades, now let me start by saying, as a little boy, at least I've been a Christian now for some time, as a teenager, when we were in secondary school, and then in my early days in university, the way the gospel was presented to us is very different from how it is presented now. And I look back, and I'm persuaded that was the right thing. Over time, our gospel became worldly. Now, everything has its problems. Everything has a risk. Like the book of Ecclesiastes says to us that if anyone is cleaving wood, what is the risk? It might be hot by it. If you are breaking a fence, a serpent might bite you. What it means is that every profession has its risks. They, if they give you power and authority, you are likely to oppress the poor. Everything has its risks. If they make you a tax collector, you are likely to charge more than you are supposed to charge and keep the extra for yourself. Everything has a risk. Now, prosperity has a risk. 
If you go and read Deuteronomy chapter 8, God explained the risk of prosperity. He said, what is the problem with prosperity? Your heart become proud. You will say, my own hand got me this strength. I know how to do it. And that risk for prosperity, of prosperity, is that Christians often become worldly. They tend to set their minds on prosperity. And I want to say something to those who are believers. If you are listening to me, you are a Christian. Don't be worried about adversity around you. Don't take it to heart too much. God sometimes takes his people from the place of comfort deliberately into the place of adversity. He knows what he's doing. What do I mean? Abraham was called from a comfortable place and he was sent to be, let me use the expression, a missionary in a dry place. God knew what he was doing. God deliberately took a comfortable little boy named Joseph, took him from his father's house. He, he, listen, Joseph was not taken away by his brothers. It was God that took him away. His brothers, like we said earlier, were just used for that ignoble purpose. The reason why God took Joseph away, two reasons, I want to talk about one of the reasons, was so he could develop. He was not going to achieve what God wanted in the house of his father. God deliberately took him to the house of slavery from where he was going to be trained. It was deliberate. Jacob was taken to the house of a harsh taskmaster. His uncle Laban was not kind. God sent him to the house of Laban. He said, when you are done with Laban, you will stop being crafty like this. God wanted to prepare something in the spirit of Jacob for eternity. He said, the man who will do it for me, his name is Laban. Please follow me. When God wanted to prepare Moses to take the people of Israel out of captivity into the promised land, he sent that same Moses, first of all, into the wilderness. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. If you go and read Hebrews chapter 11, as a young boy, I thought that it was because they were looking for him, that was why he ran away. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that he ran away by faith, not by fear. I hope you're getting my point. It was by faith he ran. What, was, what, what, what does that mean? An angel of God came to him and said, depart from Egypt. Moses was not planning to run away. He was planning to re- lead an uprising. But an angel came and told him, get up from here and get out from here. In obedience to the word of God sent to him, that was why he left Egypt and went into the wilderness. God needed the wilderness to take care of Moses. He humbled Moses down very well. He became a shepherd. He was doing that job for many years until he lost confidence in himself. When God said, go back, he said, I can't. God said, good, now you are ready. So now when you go, you won't see anything apart from what I tell you to say. The Moses that was raised up was a good orator. The Moses that was raised up in the house of of Pharaoh was going to argue their case in court. He was going to sue from the lower court to the appeal court and then the Supreme Court and demand release. If that didn't work, he was going to get the people. He was going to be a Martin Luther King, a Malcolm X. Did you ever hear those people speak? Smooth orators. And God said, this will not liberate the people. So you know what he did to Moses? He took Moses into the wilderness until Moses lost the confidence in himself. So when God said, go, he said, I'm slow of speech. I can't talk. 40 years before, he wasn't slow of speech. He could talk. God needed the wilderness to bring Moses to the place where he was now useful for God. 
Don't complain too much. God is preparing you for something great. I hope you're getting my point here. Very, very important we get it. All right? Like I said, starting from the negative side, what happened was that we began to preach the gospel of prosperity, which in itself, that's why I said what I said about risks, was not bad. It's just that he had the risk. The risk was worldliness. The risk was pride. And then that worldliness crept in. Then, in fact, one of our brothers told me this yesterday evening. He came to my house to help me with technical stuff. So we're just, we're just discussing something led to it. He now said that, how will he speak to his, the people that he knows? There are people he knows that are into all kinds of shady deals. The internet fraud and stuff like that. They're into stuff like that. Boys that he grew up with. That he doesn't know what to say to them so that they will repent. I said, ah, what is hard in that? I said, tell them the soul that sins he shall die. I said, tell them simply that they will do, die and go to hell. I said, what is hard in that? He said, no, no, that, that he has been told to preach love. I said, that's the love of God. That Jesus said, you don't have to die and go to hell. You don't have to die now. You don't have to die young. That God can forgive you, but if you would not accept this love, which is Jesus Christ, you will literally die and go to hell. I said, who told you not to preach that to them? He said, no, no, no. That what they've been told is that they should preach the love of God. I said, what I have just told you is the love of God. The love of God is the deliverance from damnation. You cannot preach the love of God until you have first preached the judgment of God. Because that love makes no meaning. It's like preaching pardon to somebody who does not know is convicted. How do you preach pardon to an individual who is not aware that he's been convicted? Assuming where we are sitting there, seated here, I don't, I don't realize it's prison. You bring a chair, you sit down and say, please, I would like to talk to you, Mr. Banky. So I said, what is it? I have in my hand right now a pardon letter. And you know, I'll be looking at you like, excuse me, pardon me from what? No, just take the pardon. But I'll need you to, let's just take a bit of transaction. I need you to remove your jacket, give me your shirt and your tie. You have to walk out of here in your boxers. Oh, I'm going to collect your trousers too. But once you leave this gate, the gate of this premises, you're free. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, Ude, please come and help me bundle this joker out of here. Why? I'm not a convict. I won't give you my tie. Not to talk about remove my jacket, remove my shirt, remove my trousers, and walk away in underwear to the gate. But let us assume God opened my eyes. And I realized that these bars I'm seeing, they're not security bars. They're supposed to cage me in. And that the hangman is on his way from Ogun State. That actually suddenly I begin to remember things. That yes, I joined a riot. We beat one policeman who was trying to scatter the riot and he died. And I was charged with my friends for murder. And I was found guilty. And I've been inside this cage for the last six years. I've forgotten all of that. I exhausted my appeal at the Supreme Court last week. Now, I'm waiting for the hangman to hang me. But somebody now went to the president and explained that he's not normally like that. Something just went wrong. In fact, he was not the one that did it. Just that he stood there and took the responsibility while his classmates ran away. And then the president says, okay, go and give him that pardon letter. Then you suddenly I remember all of these things. My people, listen to this. And then I say, walk naked to the gate. (laughs) Do you think I would hesitate? 
So they will see your nakedness. I said, they will also see my glory. Don't worry about it. I will walk to the, I will remove it. I will collect the pardon letter. The fellow who brings it for me, I will be so grateful. Oh, you are one of those that went to the head of state to plead my case. May the Lord bless you. Is it my jacket you want? I remove the jacket. I remove my shirt. Remove my tie. I continue to undress. He said, where do I pass? You know why? Because I know I'm condemned. You cannot preach the love of God to people who don't know they are perishing. You can't effectively preach Christ Jesus to people who think they are doing Christ a favor by coming to church. They come and say, I know what I mean. I was with one brother once. He took a call. He came and stayed with, my, with me for like two nights. So he took a call when they were talking. He's a minister. And then after he took the call, he said, I should come and see trouble. I said, what is the trouble? That one of the girls that he's following up, called, that she's the one that just called him, and told him what she needed. She needed to do her hair, and the hair do with this amount of money, and she needed to buy this and all of that. And that he just said to her that she does not have money, that he doesn't have money to fund those things. And she now sent him a message while I was there. That you told me to leave my boyfriends, that is my man friends. She was following sugar daddies. But you are not there for me. I looked at him. And I thanked God that they didn't give me some ministries. Because if I was the one, I would re- reply, please go back to your sugar daddies. Die with them. Can you see the attitude? What is the attitude? I am doing you a favor coming to church. I'm doing your God a favor coming to church. All I'm asking for is Brazilian hair. All I'm asking for is just a new set of clothes. I haven't given this my expensive life to Christ. If I wasn't following your Christ, I know what I'll be making now. One trip around Nigeria, I'll come back home with 1.5 million naira. Just two sugar daddies. I abandon all of these things just to come and serve your God. And I'm just asking you for hairdo. And you're telling me you don't have money. That's exactly what this girl was telling this guy. And I looked at him and I shook my head. I said, you know the truth? We preach the wrong gospel. The young woman thinks he's doing you a favor. Not moving in fornication and adultery. She thinks he's doing you a favor. By repenting of her iniquity. That is why she can come to you and say, you told me to leave my sugar daddies. And you're not there for me. God knows I will never tell anybody, leave your sugar daddies. I will just say that the day God wants to punish you, you and your sugar daddies, you will die. That's how I preach my gospel. That God is going to send you to hellfire. This is your fine body. Demons will be jumping on you every day. Now you are sleeping with sugar daddies. You will sleep with, what do you call them? Sugar demons. And it's going to last one million years in the first instance. And your, your sentence will be renewed on a daily basis. So, my God, if you want to go to hell, please go to hell. I am offering you deliverance. And you think I'm, you are doing me a favor? People used to come and say, what must we do to be delivered from the judgment to come? I am telling you there's judgment. You are telling me that, well, that is, you're not there for me. If I preach to you, I should charge you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Ideally speaking, you should pay me. When you know that we are working for God, when I finish preaching deliverance to you, after you've been delivered, I say, wait, wait, sit down. Where, where are you going? Deliverance fee, you will work for me for two years. Everything you are paid, I'll take 90%. You can keep 10%. But of course, we can't do that because we are working for the Lord. Listen to me. When we give our lives to Christ, <laughs> it's the least we can do 
to pay him. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He owns you totally. No, no, listen, I'm not talking about giving you, you, you did him a favor. Let me just serve the Lord. I love the Lord so much. I wouldn't want to do anything to hurt him after everything he has done for me. Now lie. Let's not, let's not romanticize this thing. This is not Bollywood. I hope you're getting my point. Forget Z World here. The truth is that you are serving Jesus because you belong to him. You belong to him. My car is not doing me a favor. As we had in mind. That you see. Just I, I, I believe in your ministry. So that's why I carry you from one place to the other. I don't know <laughs> my point. I say, uh-huh. you believe in my ministry. Do you know how much I paid the dealer for you? Are you all right? Listen, believe in my opposite opponents. Believe in the devil's ministry. You will see carry me. Why? You're my property. That's why Paul said it like this. He said, God, whose I am and whom I serve. I serve God because I belong to him. Please, I hope you're getting the principle. We're not doing anybody a favor here. Like I'm just doing the Lord a favor. Every moment I'm not serving him, you must understand, I am cheating. I'm robbing. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be controversial, but this is a matter of fact. That is why the gospel of tithes we used to preach, I have never understood it. That 10% belongs to God. I preached this message many years ago. So that I'm telling you, it's nothing less than 25 years ago. Went to campus to go and preach. I said, how many of you here believe, believe that 10% of your income belongs to God? The whole congregation put up their hands. I said, let me tell you something. You are all thieves and robbers. They thought, no, something is missing. I said, let me repeat it again. Maybe they misheard me. I said, how many people listening to me this evening believe that 10% of their income belongs to the Lord. Again, I think everybody put up his or her hands. I said, let me say to you again what I said earlier. You didn't hear me correctly. I said, you are a thief and you are a robber. Of course, what they read from Malachi is that if you don't be, agree that 10% belongs to God, you are a thief and you are a robber. I said to them, no, it's a lie. It's the other way around. If you say 10% as a Christian, if you say 10% belongs to God, you have claimed 90%. I say in Christianity, that's a foul. Like we say, fa fa fa, foul. I said, by saying 10% belongs to the Lord, you have said 90% belongs to me. That's why we start saying things like, when you give the Lord 10%, that one is compulsory. The anything you now give him after is what? Free will. That's not, you know, we, we didn't know when we imported Judaism into Christianity. Paul said he died for all. That those who live would no longer live for themselves, but live for the one that died and rose again on their behalf. My gospel from the beginning has always been, every single dime you have belongs to God. You don't have the right to tell him, I have paid you 10%, now you will bless me. That is which word do I use that's so true but it's not so, so hard sounding? Okay, let's make it simple. That's a lie. It's not the gospel of Jesus. If God gives me money, what I should say is that, Lord, they have paid the money. And the, if the angel says, which money? Say, the money the Lord sent for me to administer for this month. How much is it? I'll tell the angel. It's 150,000 naira. What does the Lord want me to do? Then, as a result of understanding, the Lord will say, take care of your family. From it, 
Give to those you are supposed to honor. From it, preach the gospel. From it, take care of the poor. Now, all of this, okay, oh, let's not forget you. Take this amount, buy yourself a shirt. Take this amount, buy food for yourself too. Oh, don't forget, your wife's birthday is this week, right? Take an amount and buy something nice. And I'll rise up from the place of prayer and tell the Lord, thank you. It is not that out of the 150, I've given you 15%, give 10%, you will protect me. Then if I give you anything extra, you will now multiply that one. Have you heard this kind of joke before? That with your tithe, you buy land. With your offering, you now sow seed on the land. You know, the other time I'm hearing gospel people preaching. I turned to my wife, I said, I just was supposed to, why don't they work for Alibaba? Because it's all a joke. Alibaba makes a lot of money cracking jokes. What are you doing preaching the gospel with this money you are looking for? Because what you are saying makes no sense. Obviously, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the gospel. For believers, every bit you have belongs to him. So you are supposed to be a good administrator. But while you are being trained, I used to tell people, because if you grow up thinking of yourself, it will take you a while to learn how to live for other people. So that's why I tell Christians, just use proportions. Just, and then sometimes you can just make dedications. Lord, though, I believe so much in this ministry, this church that I attend, this people that are preaching the gospel. Anything you give me, I believe that I would like to support them with this amount of money from it. And if your spirit says okay, then it is okay. You continue. And sometimes you, you see, I tell Christians that if you're an average earner and you are giving less than 30% of your income, you have not yet begun. You, you have not started. The amount of trouble in this life the amount of trouble in this life, if you are doing less than 30%, you have not begun. Let me see my message, please. We don't do, we're not doing God a favor. Like that young woman said, you told me to leave my sugar daddies, yet you're not there for me. Hi, God. Oh. And nobody, you know, people know you before they know the kind of thing they will, they will offer you. If I'm the one coming to your house and say, <laughs> sorry now, sister, we didn't see you in church. You are hurting our feeling by not coming. That's why you've been telling me such nonsense. I'm the type that if you come there, I say, stay outside. We are sharing out deliverance here. If you don't come, come on time, deliverance of today has finished. <laughs> no, go and read your Bible. John the Baptist, what happened? He was begging people, please now, give your life to the Lord, repent. To... No. What did he say? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And go and read it. I read my Bible and I found that when the prophets talk about the day of the Lord, it was never a nice thing. I read it from, I think, Amos, but the other one I think was Joel, again. The day of the Lord was a day burning. A day of judgment. Amos described it. He said the day of the Lord is like a man running away from a lion and he jumps a bear. The day of the Lord is like somebody... Who's running from trouble outside? He enters into his house, puts a hand on the wall, and a serpent bites him. This is the point I'm going to make. John shouted to the people. The kingdom of God is at hand. They knew what it meant. What did he say? He said, repent. Repent. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Then one day the Pharisees came. You know what he said to them? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? 
Please, I hope you are following my, what I'm saying here. So, you see, what have we been doing? We've taken the gospel and we have bastardized it. So, we offer people what? Prosperity. That you don't have to steal to prosper. Come to Christ Jesus. He can help you prosper. You don't have to steal to make it in life. If you come to Jesus, he will help you make it. Jesus, God is good. Because God is so good. You don't have to follow the devil. And we do that every day. And people now think that when they come to God, he owes them prosperity. What were you supposed to do? To tell them, the way that you are living your lives, you will die. And you will go to hell. That there is darkness out there and it is eternal. There is eternal damnation. If you don't stop, your prosperity will not be able to deliver you in that day. People should know that if you don't stop, your prosperity will not be able to deliver you. They are supposed to run. It's an escape. It's not which one is better. I hope you're getting my point. It's not which one is better. It's let us escape. Destruction is coming. Where is our escape? It's in Christ Jesus. So, when we preach that gospel to people, they gave their lives to Christ and expected God to settle them. So people will say things like, I've served God for this long, what has he done for me yet? What do they mean? I've not bought a car yet. I've not built a house. I've not, not done this. I've not done that. My friends in the world, they are gaining the whole world. All you are giving me is Jesus. Meanwhile, when I was young, the gospel was what? Take the whole world and give me Jesus. I hope you're getting my point. So people will sit in church. I remember one day I saw a man. Now, of course, you know our press people can quote people out of context. So I didn't read the whole thing. I don't know whether they quoted him out of context. But he said that Jesus ruined my life. It's a well-known Nigerian. If you grew up, if you're an adult about 40 years ago, or no, 30 years ago, between 35, 30 years ago, you'll know him. He said, Jesus ruined my life. Ah, that he had a, a, a career in um, law. He was a, you know, his law practice was going on. They encountered Jesus. Jesus ruined his life. Now, like I told you, the reporters, you know, they write those things to sell their newspapers. So I don't know the details whether he meant it like that. But I remember that I felt like telling him that, bros, why don't you take your life back from Jesus and go and patch it up yourself? Why are you sitting down here saying Jesus ruined your life? Because if you really believe in this Jesus, instead of you telling me he, lived your li- he ruined your life, you should know that he will ruin it more if you insult him publicly. I don't know whether I get my point. If he has the power, you will not be able to insult him like this. So let us assume he was taken out of context. I like to assume that. That it was taken out of context. Because as a matter of fact, I like what Ken Hagen said once. He said after the Lord saved him because he first had a vision of hell. Then when God saved him, you know what he said? Even though he was not healed yet, it looked like he was going to die. He said, but I was so happy to know that I was not going to die and go to hell. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, what mattered to me most was that I've been saved from eternal damnation. So every night when I want to sleep, I will be singing. He said he will sing and sing and sing. Why? He said because he knew that they told him before he might die in his sleep. So he wanted to know that if he died, that they would find him 
smiling. They want, he wanted them to know he died happy. I hope you're getting my point here. The man said, I was just too glad to know I was not going to hell. So all I wanted to know was that I died how? Happy. So every night he wants to sleep. He will sleep singing. That is, he will sing until he falls asleep. So when he has fallen asleep, if he dies, he says, at least let them find me. What? Smiling. The Lord is good. Now, this point I'm making. So that's the effect of the gospel we preached. And so, listen to me. It produced for us Christians that are not useful for God. That was what happened. It's produced for us Christians that are not useful. People that God can't use. People that Jesus, now listen to what I'm going to say. For them, Jesus is an investment. It's an investment. They've set their eyes on the things of this world. So Jesus is an investment. That is, if I give, now, I get there once in a while. That is why this gospel of give so you can collect. I'm sorry, it's a, it's a satanic gospel. Because it's not producing pure sins for God. It's not producing pure sins for God. What you have is a situation in which people, they give to God and they expect him to multiply it. And if it does not multiply it, there should be trouble. And there have been situations in which people went to the pastor and said, please, I need to collect my money back. Yes. It has never happened to me because I don't preach like that. But I know pastors, I have one in mind that it really happened to. The man actually came to his church and told the pastor, you know that time we were asked to give an offering, but that he's changed his mind. This was maybe like a month after. So he needed the church to refund him the money. So the man of God quickly asked the church accountant to verify what the man was saying. It was true. They gave him his money back. They gave him his money back. Because after I give money to God, ah, he's supposed to multiply it. I gave 100,000 after three weeks. I mean, MMM. By now, he should be giving me 300,000 naira. Those is when we were young. We had what they call plan well in Benin. 100,000 naira. At the end of one month, they gave you 200,000 naira on top of your 100K. That's 300,000. And they say, my God is even more powerful than Mavrodi. So if Mavrodi can give you 300,000, my God should give you a million. I have seen people who still to give. They are not wicked people. They just assume that if God, when God will multiply it back, they will now go and return this thing they stole. Yes? One of our friends, his brother took his car. He traveled. You know, imagine that I traveled. Left my car at home. By the time I came, the car was not there again. Where is my car? Bros, wait. Where's my car? Bros, wait. Make a long story short. The guy took the car to church and sold it as a seed. Hoping that God will have multiplied. I, I don't know how God is supposed to do that. But God will have multiplied the car into two or three. So when the brother comes back, he will give the brother a better car that he left at home. I don't know how he finally solved it. The young man went to church and dropped the key of the car. <laughs> if I think well, that guy probably has gone, went to collect police to go to that church and collect his car back. Because he said that he doesn't understand the kind of pastor in that church. They gave you a car, you didn't have the original papers. But why were we doing that? That's what I'm making. Because Jesus is an investment. We have a Jesus that we preach as an investment. 
People don't serve him properly. How will I live long? I serve Jesus. How will I get, get a good family? I serve Jesus. How will I have a brilliant career? I serve Jesus. And listen to me. I have a prophetic word in my mouth again. If you're a preacher, you must stop telling that lie from today. The reason why God allowed you to hear me today is that he's tired. He's angry with the lies you have told to people in his name. Let me remind us, John made no such promises to anybody. Yet, he was the one that prepared the people for the Lord Jesus Christ. John did not make any such promise to anybody. What is Christianity? Let me say it again, which is what I'm trying to summarize this series with. It is the giving of our lives to Christ. And I want to preach to us today the cost of giving your life to Christ. Jesus said, we read that from that place. Let me start from the latter one we read. People came to him and said, I will follow you. And that's what happens sometimes. And Jesus looked at that man and perceived in his heart what the man was looking for. It was a jobless man. It was a man looking for a career. It was a man looking for, because he saw the, he, he saw the ministry around Jesus Christ. And he decided that, listen, no, this man must have a good structure. If I join him, he will promote me. One day, you know, right now we have Peter, we have James, we have John surrounding him. Then we have the other people amongst the inner caucus. If I stay with him long enough, I'll be talking with Peter with one hand. Like, bro, Peter, how are you doing? Now we are not partners in this ministry. And I know how much money that will mean. One of my friends, <laughs> he said, interesting story. He used to be a member of a particular church. And he left after a while for certain reasons. And those is when he was there, he was a... Young man, but you know, was an important person. They are young people's group in the church. Okay? Young professional. So one of the small, small boys of those days when he was in church, he saw the guy. Now, let's just call the guy's name. Let me use a... Uh, okay. Find me a name now. And that's a biblical name. I want him. I want him. Let's assume the name. His name is Uche. <laughs> let's do something like that. Or a maker. Or Chooks, I think Chooks, we should use Chooks' name. His name is good. I think the guy's name is Chooks. So he w- one day he went to an ATM machine to draw money. As soon as it was, it was done, he turned. And who did he see? Chooks. Now, this was maybe like five years before. Chooks was not a big man, you know, in the church. So he just said, you know, he told him, he's a young man, a young guy those days. Hey, Chooks, how now? The guy said, excuse me, it's Pastor Chooks. It's Pastor Chooks. Then he looked at him closely. He saw the man had done some adjustments to his appearance to fit that pastoral role. So when my friend saw him, the guy wanted to judge, you know, like your young bro guy of those days now, your young bro, hey, bro, how far now? Say, hey, excuse me. It's Pastor Chooks. That is now you should greet me with respect. I have been elevated. You know, I, I wasn't there, but in my mind, I saw a confused man that's going to destruction. That's not a joke. That's not a joke. A confused man going to destruction. Who, thinks, who thought he had been elevated in the plan of God? But you know what he was looking for? Settlement. He was looking for settlement. After a while, he would demand the, the perks of the office of pastor. 
I've seen people, one guy told me once that, you know, his life was scattered a bit. He used to come to me for counseling. You know, I did not know exactly what to tell him. But after a while, I realized this man was angry and he was hurt and all of that. And that was what was causing the confusion in his life. After I asked him a few questions, I realized what happened to him. You know what happened to him? He was a member of a church, a big church. Let us assume now that Okimite is the pastor of one big church in Enugu. He has a major branch in um, Oka. So he planted this pastor there. And the, the church was growing. They had over a thousand people. So the pastor in that Oka branch was a young, vibrant pastor. Everybody loved and respected. This my guy was one of the close innermost people to that man. Are you getting my point? Then one day Okemote now sent a message to Oka that, that your church is too big. I wanted people to break it to six branches and scatter all over Anambra State. Or Oka and then Onicha and Newe and all of that. Suddenly, my guy lost his position. So all the while he was having spiritual issues, that was what they caused. So one day I was not talking with him. My mind just went towards that. And I asked him a few questions. I said, well, listen to this. There were a lot of disappointments. Because the church was rearranged, he lost his position. Because the head pastor there was transferred out of the place. So there arose a pharaoh that did not know Joseph. So my guy lost his position. This man that was transferred out of the place, the day they announced the moving of the church and the transfer of that man, you know what happened? One guy broke down and began to cry. When his friends asked, true story, I'm not lying to you. Everything that I'm telling you really happened. Close this man, you're opening your mouth. It really happened. He doesn't know things like that happen. Look at his mouth. The guy broke down and began to cry. When I say broke down, he kind of fell on the floor with his head in his hands. When they asked him why, he said he was just about to become, that is, one more step, he was about to get into the people sitting around the pastor. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I've not embellished what I've told you one bit. In fact, everything that I've told you, I've calmed them down a bit. He was so heartbroken that now that I'm about to make it in this ministry, you scatter the assembly. Listen to me, that was the kind of person that came to Jesus. Because everybody likes importance in life. Peter said as a fisherman, but listen, you, you, look, look, he was not educated, he was not, but by the time he started moving with Jesus, no matter how much Jesus was holy and righteous, when you have 10,000 people following you, those around you become important. Those around him became important. No, think about it. People think that, you know, I've heard things like that before. That there was these pastors, they are not like Jesus was. Jesus was open. Everybody could approach him. I said, Which Jesus? The one in your Bible? Don't lie. Read it well. To meet that Jesus was hard. It wasn't because of um, anything like uh, it's too important. It was crowd, the crowd. So once Jesus is sitting down somewhere, Peter and Co. will surround that area. And on that set of maybe 50 people will surround Peter and Co. Then if you want, to, they will be screening you. So Jesus looked behind them and saw some women with their children. So he called, Peter, Peter, James, let the little ones come to me. What does that tell you? Not everybody could come. If it was so easy to meet Jesus Christ, why was somebody climbing a tree? You know, people think that uh, you should just be approachable. Go and approach Jesus first. It wasn't because it was difficult, but when 10,000 people are in front of you, listen to me. Judas used to collect to see Jesus. <laughs> Judas would look and say, you want to see Jesus Christ? What did you bring? That's all your prophets offering. 
You don't want to Jesus, Jesus. Go first. Say, it's not for me, it's for the ministry. You will now come back, bring her. Of course, you know now. Jesus will never see that money. But Jesus will know. He will preach John. He has collected money from them. <laughs> don't worry, they are sick. Let's still pray for them. Sounds like a joke, but things like this were happening. So a man looking for importance came to Jesus and said, I will follow you. And Jesus said, eh. He saw his heart. See, this man is looking for how to blow in life. So he said to him, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But this son of man you are seeing, he doesn't have any place to call his own. Forget all the things you are seeing. Everything we have here is borrowed. Go and check it. Boat, they will borrow. Donkey, they will borrow. Some women were following, bringing their money to buy the food. So that man said, eh, you people don't have a ministry headquarters. Jesus said, we don't have. Eh. So Lord, let me go and pray about it. Jesus said, go, go, go and pray about it. Because he saw his heart. This man was not looking for anything more than importance in life. He wanted to take advantage of the anointing to achieve his own purpose. And I'm preaching to Christians again today. You don't serve God to achieve your own purpose. Serving him is not how you build a house. Serving him is not how you will marry. Serving him is not how you have children. Serving him is not how you become rich. There's no guarantee of any of this as a result of serving him. You know what Jesus said? This is the attitude. King James uses the expression unprofitable servants. It doesn't mean unprofitable as we are useless. What it means is that we have no personal profit in what we are doing. Sometimes people ask me, why do you make your materials free? If you want to know, I'll give you the answer. There are two answers. The, less, the lesser one of the two answers is the fact that I have to pay back for the iniquity <laughs> of our youth. What I mean by that is this. When we were young Christians, what, how, how did we get messages? We, co- we copied them from other people. It was difficult. Same thing Andrew Mark said once, why he gave out his own messages free. That it was so hard for him, as a poor young Christian, to get messages. So he decided to make it free for people when God gave him the ability. But that's not the most important one of my reasons. The most important of my reasons is that it's not mine. I'm a messenger. How can they send me on an errand? Look at the world today. We might be, some people may be suspicious of people, but the truth is this. The world believes that if you vaccinate all the children of the world, you will eradicate a lot of diseases. So when they send vaccines to a country, they expect you to give as many people as possible. They gave my children oral polio until I got angry. Because, of course, I take them to clinic. My wife takes them to clinic when they are babies. Then they go to school. Once I got a phone call, they said they want to give. Should I, give? I said, okay, give them. No, it doesn't hurt. Then another time, after a few months, I, I said, no. This time I said, no. I called I said, no. Are you trying to feed them fat on vaccines? I know how much they are charging. Nothing. Why? They have a mission. In the same manner, I have a mission. I'm on assignment. Whoever developed the vaccines in my mouth said, go and give as many people as possible. Please, I hope you're getting my point. 
So you, you, you cannot afford to be holding it back. So that's what I mean by unprofitable servant. That is what you are doing is not for your own profit. It's not your own. If they want to say thank you, please, if anybody wants to tell me thank you, please, say thank you to the owner first. I appreciate your thank you that is encouraging. I hope you're getting my point. But remember, somebody owns it. One day, I've, I've seen tapes before when we were young. They say, please don't copy this tape. I say, I will copy it. Don't photocopy this book. I say, why not? If it's a book of secular things, I will respect your copyright. But when it's gospel, you preach a message. I got the tape. I should not make copies. Why? Because you want to sell. Are you okay? So that's how the ministry gets money. I said, go and report to the person who sent you. When you get to God, say, Lord, I'm okay to report, report Banky. I preached a hot message on a 60-minute tape, and I'm selling it. Banky took it and made 20 copies and gave to 20 of his friends. Let's see what our Lord and Master will do to you. He said, Banky did that? You say, yes. So what should I do? Make him pay. God said, okay, good, come. Banky, come. The good word, the prophetic word I put in your brother's mouth. I heard you made 20 copies. And you give it out free of charge. I say, Lord, I did. Say, well done, good and faithful servant. I say, eh? so that's his payment. For the work he did, that is his payment. Recently, when I released that tiny little book, The Mark of the Beast, people say, can we share on our page, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all of that? Ah, I say, did they ask that kind of question? Can you? Of course. That is the idea. Everybody is supposed to read it. It's called unprofitable servant. So Jesus said, how many of you will have a servant that will go out to go and work in the field? He will now come back. And I say, okay, sit down. Let me say, no, 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 no. You will sit. The servant will serve you first before he goes to eat food. He said, in the same manner, when you have done everything that the Lord sends you to do, you will say, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that we're supposed to do. Simple. It's only that which we're supposed to do that we did. You know what Paul said? Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You know what that means? Paul said, if I preach the gospel, I don't deserve a thank you. Because I have just released the fire in my bones. Do you get my point? That was what Jeremiah said. When I said, okay, I'm not preaching again. He said, the word became like what? Fire in my body. I had a personal experience like that, of course, those days. This is my wife of today. She heard the gospel until her ears became swollen from hearing the gospel. Because I found somebody who I could, all the anointing in my soul, who I could now, deli- I didn't have a congregation. Nobody was inviting me, yet I was still anointed. Do you know, God will do you some strong thing, eh? Lord, you anointed me like this. You didn't give me an opportunity. So he sent me a woman. He said, marry this one. So my wife was my church. I remember during honeymoon, I preached the girl was tired. You honeymoon, no? Ah, because you just married, I'm not going to preach my gospel. Something I've been keeping inside my soul for a long time. <laughs> what am I going to explain? That was all Paul meant. He said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It is not a way by which we make it in life. Preaching the gospel. That was all that what happened to that young man. He was following Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you know, I was saying something earlier, that everything has a risk. That was the risk when ministry began to prosper. I said something, please don't forget what I said. Prosperity in itself doesn't have a problem. In itself, 
a pastor driving a Land Cruiser is not a problem. A pastor driving an S500 Mercedes-Benz is not a problem. If you have money, buy yourself a GL450. Is the will of God. If you decide to buy yourself a GL Keke, is the will of God. If what you can afford is a GL, 15-year-old Picanto, I just put GL just to make it sound like the Mercedes-Benz, it's the will of God. If you have a broken-down Corolla that you can patch and drive to where you are going, anyone you can afford. So please, I'm not, I'm not criticizing it at all. But So if a pastor drives a Mercedes-Benz, he drives a Bentley, or he flies a private jet, like I say all the time, you know my gospel about private jet. What is the meaning of private jet? Who are those who fly private jets? Those who have private money and they are going to private places. Once you have your private money and you are going to your private place, none of my business. I hope I've established that. However, this is a problem. When you find some preachers who have private jets or big cars, a lot of young Christians now think it's a sign of promotion. Once I was preaching on radio, I had to emphasize to people, I said, let's forget all this. Season. Don't deceive yourself that pastors are enjoying. Most pastors cannot even pay their children's school fees. Because you see two or three that seem to have a lot of money does not make it the typical way pastors live. It doesn't make it the typical way pastors live. That the <laughs> Apostle was telling me that ah, this lockdown period, that some pastors are going from house to house to collect their offering. I said, they are not trying to take risks with their lives. Yeah, this is the only job they do. You lock down the congregation. Offering is not coming. Ah, they say, okay, if Muhammad will not come to the mountain, you know what we will do. <laughs> so somebody has to move. You may be laughing and say, ha ha, this pastor self, bros, you self, don't you want to get paid during the lockdown? Don't want the office to open during the lockdown. The man who wants to get paid during the lockdown. I'm going to explain something here. He doesn't have money. And what I've told you is the typical life of most ministers. But there are a few that God, in his wisdom, blessed tremendously. A lot of young people now think that is why we go into ministry. That is the only downside to it. One of the downsides to that gospel. But I'm preaching today, young men, young women, don't be confused. Jesus said, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. If you are following me, I'm not guaranteeing you anything. If you want to serve the Lord, serve him. Don't even think that is the way by which you will make it in life. What am I going to explain? Those who want to serve God, they understand this point. He can strip you of everything you have. And there's no guarantee of what will be there in front. The only thing he tells is that he will take care of you. When I say no guarantee is this, what I mean is that, don't say, eh, my friends went to go and do business so that they can build duplexes in the village and one in Abuja. Let's see, I will serve God, I will do the same. Because hey, wait, wait, I, don't, I, I am not involved in that competition at all. I am not going to side you in that competition. If you want to serve, serve. When I say you should count the cost, that's what I'm trying to say. This is a cost. Of serving the Lord. This is the cost of serving the Lord. Many of us may have heard the story before of a missionary who went abroad for a long time, maybe served abroad for like 35 years. They wanted to retire and came back home. Those they used to come by ship. So 
When they got to the harbor in the home country, he saw people gathered to receive them, he thought, he and his wife. People were gathered, you know, with a placard, with a drums and everything. As they came down from the ship, another, a government politician, you know, a politician or something, also a musician arrived. And only for him to discover that all that fanfare was for the worldly famous individual. So as soon as that one moved, all the fanfare disappeared. Only for him and his wife to stand there and there was nobody. There was nobody. Okay, maybe there was one person who came with a chariot or something. What do you say? Who does this? And said, okay, let's go. So as he left that place to go to his home, he was heartbroken. I've served the Lord abroad for 35 years. Now we are returning. People are not even there to say welcome. And he was heartbroken until the Holy Spirit said to him simply, you are not home yet. Did you hear what I said? Holy Spirit said, you are not home yet. You left from one assignment post to another. You are not home yet. Home is heaven. Home is when you get over there. On this earth, you have no abiding tabernacle. You are not home yet. I'm, I'm adding my own words now. You did not go to serve any human being, so they don't owe you. And who told you God didn't come that day to honor you? Who told you the angels were not standing there to say, nice guy, you're welcome back. But one thing I can assure you of is this. You're not yet right for well done, good and faithful servant. You're not yet right for it. As long as you're in this tabernacle, Paul made it clear to us, it is because there's still work to do. What am I saying? Please, who are the people that God will use? Those who understand what Jesus meant. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had nothing to promise anybody. One of my friends, somebody was supposed to join him in ministry. So he said that the man now left after a while. He didn't stay. He was supposed to come, but he didn't come. Somebody was now discussing with him that the young man just needed guarantees. You understand? Like, okay, what is the guaranteed thing? What will happen to him and all of that? And he said, it didn't cross his mind to guarantee anybody anything. You know why? He said, when I started, nobody guaranteed me anything. I packed my bag. I traveled from one city to another city. I began to pray, and I began to preach. If you feel called to join me, please come. Whatever I have, I'll share with you, but I can't guarantee you anything because nobody guaranteed me anything. Go and read the story of Lester Sumra. What is Lester Sumra? Lesa Sumra, the one that followed her was Carter. I think it was Lesa Sumra. Her was Carter was preaching. Lesa Sumra just had a call in him that needed to follow her was Carter somewhere. Her was Carter, sorry, the story is a bit, um, I mean, mixed, but you can Google up the story. The, name, the man's name is Howard Carter, and this is Lester Sumra. Is it to, to spell? Okay, just put the two together. You see, see their story. Howard Carter was an international, you know, roving minister, apostle to all nations. There's a Sumra was an American, young man. So one day, I was cut finished preaching. There's a Sumra was there. And he said he went to greet the man. He didn't know when his mouth opened. And he began to say, everywhere you go, I will follow you. Whatever you do. You know, this kind of um, Naomi and uh, 
rules kind of uh, declaration. He has only seen it before he closed it. What did I just say? So Awakata said, no problem. We'll travel together. He woke up next day. Awakata was gone. He started looking for Awakata. He didn't know where the man went. It's not now a yard phone, internet. Yet. Finally, you know when they saw each other last, next? Australia. He just heard this one happen. That he would go there, go here. Finally, he took a boat and went across the world. That was the next time he saw Awakata. He followed Awakata to China. Inside the cold, they were on the mountains. The, our cutter was in front, he was behind. He was so weak, he had diarrhea. <laughs> he had dysentery, you know called dysentery, not diarrhea, he had dysentery. He was so weak, he fell down from the horse. Those who kept on riding, they did not know he fell down. Do I need to remind our cutter was not paying him anything? If you hear the story, you know, when they said we should go and preach, were you the one that told me one day they said, when Enugu here, that a church opened a, a village somewhere not too far from Enugu town here, one of the Enugu villages, came to your headquarters church, that they should send a pastor, that they have a church hall, they have a house for the pastor to stay. They just need a pastor that will come. They couldn't find anybody. Why? Because it's village. Village that you can reach Enugu in 45 minutes. But people gauged it that how much offering would these villagers give? The people so wanted the word of God. They came and said, we have a church building. We have a hall we can use. There's a small house somewhere who house the pastor. Please send us a pastor. They could not find. That was when your brother told you that that day he wished he could speak Hebrew. He said he would have gone. He, 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 they had pastors in town. They are fighting for who will go to one big branch, you know, branches like uh, Zion of David, uh, David Tabernacle, you know, Daniel Incorporated, Saint, those ones that build their, you know, those kind of ones that buy land for 50 million, finish the Tabernacle for 150 million, all of it in two years. So pastors know that if you can spend 200 million in two years, at least my, if, if it's only 5% of that money I get, I will have somewhere to lay my head. So you understand why one man, like Howard Carter, God sent him to the Philippines and he turned the whole nation upside down. Yes. When God sent him to the Philippines, God poured, he poured the anointing upon him. The whole nation responded to him. At a point in time, in his days, Lester Sombra, they say he had at least two Hercules jets in his ministry that he was using to distribute food to the poor. The day Pastor Ndebakari went to his house, he couldn't believe it. You know why? The man had a simple, small three-bedroom bungalow that you see in movies. Not big household. He said, they drove to the place, parked. The old man came down, opened the gate by himself, came back into the car. Not, not our Nigerian gate, you know, security gate, with three bingos behind. Doing hoo, 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 hoo. No. Just this little Piketty fence. Just opened it. Pante Bakari looked at him and said, is this where you live? That he was shocked. A man that the ministry had at least two Hercules jets. When he saw his house, he couldn't believe it. This is where you live. The man said, eh? what else do you expect? I have three bedrooms here. Yeah? My wife and I will share one. You, you're a guest. You go to the other one. When you want to eat, enter the kitchen by yourself. Cool, cool. Nobody's going to cook. I'm adding my own words to it. Because there was nobody else in the house. Just the old man and his wife. We need to tell young people, Bentley is not a sign of ministry. It's not. The fact that God saw in his wisdom 
to bless some of your senior brothers in ministry with Bentleys, Rolls Royces, you know, BMWs. Please, that is not ministry. That is not ministry. That is not ministry. He knows why he did it. It's a, a jet is a means of transportation. It's not good. It's not bad. If you can afford it, buy it. It does not mean you are doing ministry. It does not mean you are not doing ministry. It doesn't say anything. Planes were not made for evil spirits. They were not made for devils and mafia dons. They were made for people. Some people have their assignment from God. There's a waste of energy for them to be waiting in commercial, you know, uh, waiting for commercial plane to come and carry them. If God gives you enough work to do, he may have to give you one. And listen to me. If God gives me enough work to do and gives me the resources, I will buy one, fly it all over the place, and I will not discuss it with you. And if you don't like it, you know it's your problem, not mine. But... It's not a prayer point for me. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me. One man of God, let me not mention him, I didn't hear from him directly. In this country, twice people gave him private jets. Two times. Both times he dashed somebody else. What was his reason? He said, I don't travel that often. Maintaining it, it will be a headache. That there's no way I go right now that people don't send my ticket ahead and I only fly first class. So it's okay, what am I going to gain parking this one in the airport? So they gave him one. He took it, thanked them very well. Then he looked for somebody who needed it more than him. He gave it. I just want people to understand that. That's what I'm going to make. Count the cost. If you want to serve God, listen. He can leave you hungry if he chooses to. Why? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Didn't you see about Paul? Paul said, in hunger. I want to use the word fasting a lot of times. It's not fast. Let's declare it fast. It's, there's nothing to eat. Yeah. Said Timothy, let us eat. Timothy said, sir, did you command food to be? So what do you mean? There's nothing. And let us pray then. <laughs> One way or the other, we must do something. Paul said, what God gave to me as grace was the ability to abase. That is, even when there's no food, I will tap into that grace, I will fall asleep. We pray and pray and pray. And minister will get down hope. You must understand, Paul puts no demand on anybody. If he went to minister and he didn't give him food, he wouldn't complain. He'll be back tomorrow again. At night. Timothy. Tychicus. Any food? He said, nothing, sir. The little that was there, some people came before us. And you were the one that sent them, we gave it to them. He said, no problem. Let us pray. Let's give a lot of thanks. And they will give thanks and give thanks and give thanks. And they will fall asleep. Wake up next morning, refreshed. Back to ministry work. That was why Paul took a young man that fell from three stories, hugged him, and life came back to him. You know what we want? We want to first use you know, ministry. Like somebody said, how can I be preaching three services? How much is the prophet's offering? We want to first use ministry to collect money. Then put, down, put that one down and say, let me hug the sick, they will recover. God said, that's a joke. It doesn't work like that. You have not yet denied yourself to follow me. You think ministry is an investment. You see pastors fighting on who will be posted to the lucrative branch. If you continue like that, your ministry will not last. God will reject you. He will. He has to. He has to. He has to. 
What will it be encouraging? What will it be sent to the heavens? What will it be sent to the angels if it does not shut down your ministry? One day I heard a man preaching. I just shook my head. There are things I just tell my wife. I said, please, make sure I don't do things like this. We was talking about open doors. Open doors. That this year he prayed to God for open doors. The night invited him to go and preach in Togo. He's a Nigerian pastor. The night invited him to go and preach in Togo. He said, God, that's not what I'm talking about. Because if you go to a neighboring West African country, Nigeria is richer than them. So. <laughs> then after a while, his friends in France now called him to come and preach. He said, God, that's what I was talking about. I know the Bible says that their glory is their shame. People are bragging on what they should be ashamed of. That day I sat in that congregation I looked at the man and I said, don't you understand what is going on in your life? That you have lost it. That you have lost it. I consider it a privilege. I have prayed to God about such things. If God said, where do you want me to open doors for you to minister? I won't lie to you. It's East Africa, West Africa, Central Africa. The people need the gospel. What do we call interna- most Nigerians call international ministry? You go and preach to Nigerian refugees in London. What's international ministry? And one of my friends, that's how I crashed you. He said, Look, he said, Banky, you know I'm an economic refugee in America. <laughs> What's, what is the international ministry? Listen, if you want to do ministry, understand it. We don't serve Jesus because we are looking for where to lay our heads. We give him our lives, and the life becomes his totally. I'm convinced that young man came to Jesus, and Jesus looked at his heart. He said, I know what this one is looking for. He's looking for how to get promoted in life. He thinks it is ministry. There are times I see people, you know. A lot of times, <laughs> I've had that experience before in Kingdom World here. People want to come and join with Kingdom World those early days, and they look, there's no structure. There's no way to promote anybody. And then the Holy Spirit will speak to them to go elsewhere. <laughs> I said, go. Because what many people didn't understand that. I Me, mean, I wasn't interested in building a ministry. I just wanted to preach. This word of God, I just wanted to teach it. You must understand. You don't, many of you don't understand the kind of person I was. The anointing was in my soul. There was nobody to preach to. So I started writing books. That when I said, just let out the book that many of you have read now, Choice is Key to Destiny. There was nothing else to do. I started writing it. And that's somebody going to Benin. And I sent it to the young woman that I wanted to marry. When she married me, finished, she brought my manuscript back to my house. When we came to Enugu, I dusted, handwritten, 20-something pages. I dusted the thing. By that time, we would not learn to type. Type the thing up. It became the book, Choices Key to Destiny. That book has moved everywhere. There are people who have gone to places. One of our brothers went somewhere. He saw one young woman reading it. He took a picture of the girl and sent it to me by WhatsApp. So that's the kind of person I was. I just, look, my own was just to be preaching the word. Any avenue, just to be issuing it out. People are looking for structure. That yes, one day you now become deputy pastor. Then you become associate. I mean, how do they arrange the title? Anyway, make it long story. One day you become senior apostle. That time you now get a duplex. If you want to serve the Lord, and not only ministers, so many of us in life were like that. We give tithes and offerings because, so that God can increase our business. We should know you are serving Satan, not God. You know what I said? Yes, sir. 
You give tithes and offerings so that God can increase your business. You are not serving God. You are serving Satan. Go and read this, our, this thing. I don't know whether the, the, the article is on our website. This magazine. He's not like, he's not like other gods. That's why I started to explain inside there. Oh, I need to say one more time. If you are giving tithes and offerings so that God can increase your business, you are not serving God. You are serving Satan. Why do you give as a Christian? Because you are on assignment. Why do you give? You are on assignment. Your life is being used to fulfill his assignment. He died for all. One. He died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. Christianity, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus said, this is a cost. And when you come to me, I'm not guaranteeing you anything. You can come with a PhD. I will send you an assignment that will make everybody look and say, why did you go to school? Say, that's how I like it. Let me tell you something. You know those days? Let me give an example. My wife earned her first salary after we had gotten married. Normally, you know, the culture we have in the society is that your first income goes to who? Your parents. Now, she didn't do that for one simple reason. I said, by paying dowry on your head, I bought all the rights. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yeah. Once I paid dowry, I bought the whole rights. Now, I can decide that let us honor your parents. But you cannot now go and say, this is my first time. It doesn't belong to your parents anymore. The moment they said, is it um, 10 bottles of wine? Is this one 200 naira? Two stones, whatever, cola not. Once we delivered it, and they took your hand and put in my hand, that's it. Your first salary is mine. <laughs> first fruit, thank you. But we can choose, of course, as a family. The two shall become one. So let's honor our parents. No longer your parents, they are now our parents. This is where I'm going. Your father trained you from when you were young to you are old. The day you gave your life to Christ, Jesus bought everything. Your PhD now belongs to him. It's not yours anymore. It's not yours anymore. You must understand the way this life is. It is not your own. Listen, if I decide, let us assume I have a lot of money now. You understand? In fact, I remember the story of one man. He had a young man. He hired him. He had this young man. So your job is do whatever I say. The young man said, no problem. So the man sat down. So one day the man called for the boy. He wasn't there. And he was paying him regularly and paying him well. So after he found the boy, he said, where did you go? That one said, because I was not doing anything, I went to go and do this. The man said, no, 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 you don't get the point. Sitting down there is your job. <laughs> Once you are sitting down there, you are doing what I said. That from now on, I don't want to hear you say I'm not doing anything. I pay you to do whatever. So sitting down is what I said. Young man got the point that day. After that, he started sitting in one place. The man said, I just want to be sure you are where I can find you anytime. That the money I'm paying, you may think I'm not getting value for it. It's my money. Is it your money? It's not your money. What am I going to say? When you give your life to Christ, your PhD, your bachelor's of medicine, master's of surgery is your problem. Your professorship belongs to who? The Lord. If he now decides that he, what he wants to use a professorial title for is for gate man, it is his money, not your money. 
I don't know whether, whether you are getting my point. It is the lost money. The Lord said, oh, look, I have a professor. He said, what does he do? He's my gate man. <laughs> He's serving in my temple. His job is just to put lantern on in the morning and put it off at night for worship. He said, Lord, wouldn't he be more useful if he was out there teaching PhD students? <laughs> Lord said, it's my money. It's my own. The certificates are mine. The degrees are mine. I use it the way I like I can send a woman to school. She has a BSc, MSc, chattered this, chattered that. Then at the end of the day, I say, come, next assignment. I'm going to give you six children. You will teach them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. That's it. You'll be dancing. You will raise them up. I will not work for Goldman Sachs. Because this is Goldman. That is Sachs. In fact, from now, name your first son Goldman. The second one is Sachs. The third one will be Pricewaterhouse. Fourth one will be Coopers. So when you want to work, just say, I work for Goldman Sachs, Pricewaterhouse, Coopers. Thank you. <laughs> I can't go work for Guarantee. Say, your last one, his name is Guarantee. He said, Lord, he said wait, wait, wait. I'm a generous God. I know how to take care of my things. That is my assignment for you. Paul said all the things that were given to me. I counted all of them as what? Dung. That I can gain Christ. That's the problem. Many of us, we don't understand that to gain Christ is expensive. We want to grab the world as we are gaining Christ. To gain Christ, you need both hands. But we have, we have filled the hand, one hand with the world. And we're not struggling to hold on to Christ with the other one. And we think we are serving God so he can fulfill our ambitions. And I've come to preach to you today, it is not like that. It is not like that. It is not like that. Your life, look at the way he said it. Now what do you do? <laughs> you know, we, we, we went to this one. Let me quickly explain something here because, see the first one we read? He said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? Next one I told you about, we have to count it. So count it now. The point, like I said at the beginning, if you don't want to serve Christ, get away. Get away. People say, you, you know, they say there's revival in Nigeria. I say, what are you reviving? A full church is not a sign of revival. A sign of revival is that people depart from iniquity. Did you hear what I said? Yes, a full assembly. In fact, when people have prospered a lot of times, you'll be surprised. Religion tends to flourish. You know why? It's one of the pastimes. Oh, yes. The real sign of revival is people depart from sin. Those who read the story of those men, they will come to a city. By the time they are done, beer palace will close down. They didn't say, don't drink. They just finished preaching. They just finished preaching because drunkards will give their lives to Christ. Adulterers will give their life to Christ. And you know, it's not as if I'm saved by grace, I continue my bad works. No, they will go back home and become responsible husbands and responsible fathers. So you don't find them in beer palace. You don't find them in, find them in whole houses. You don't find them in any... So brothels were closing down because the minister came to town. That is what they call revival. 
What am I trying to say? So, I don't have any problem with people. If government shuts down churches, it will not bother me. If it's actually government close church, I said, can they really close church? Let's be honest. You can't. The real church, nobody can close it. I don't have personal information, but I heard the gist. China is where the church is growing the fastest on the world, in the world today. Yet they don't have the kind of assemblies we have. Like the person will say, because in those places to be a Christian is a, a serious business. So when God finds a Christian, the Holy Spirit induced that one. He literally becomes the light of the world. With all the persecution, it turns out because of persecution, only those who are serious give their lives to Christ. But God now enters into that one. He said there are villages in China that everybody is a Christian. Yet, no church. But go to their homes. They are studying the scriptures. They meet they are 10. They are 15. They are 20. Even the police are supposed to arrest them with sneaking out to study the scripture. That if you carry one to prison, God will replace with a hundred. Listen, you must understand revival. Witnessing is not. Oh, I pray we understand. Paul said, I did not come to you with the excellency of man's wisdom. It is not how sweet I can preach. Praise God. The Bible says that is not what makes the gospel move. He says the demonstration of the spirit and of power. That is the man who just says, the woman who just says, ah, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Cannot preach more than that. The influence, if that fellow's Christianity is pure, it will change the whole nation. Not that we go to church. They say Nigerians go to church a lot. The country is still corrupt. Why won't it be corrupt? Is the church not corrupt? As I keep on saying, pastors who lie to collect money are worse than politicians who steal in billions. Because they are handling the most precious thing on this earth, which is the word of God. The politician who steals a billion, they are just stolen naira. Just stolen currency. But if you manipulate God's word, you have stolen eternal life matter. So Jesus said, whoever does not carry his own cross cannot be my disciple. You carry your cross, you come after me. Sometimes you meet a Peter. Jesus will say, sorry, fishing is over. That is those who follow Jesus realize that it's the end of our lives. Let me repeat this thing I said to you some time ago. And I just know it to be a matter of fact. When I was young, the gospel was, take the whole world and give me Jesus. Now, it was not as if those men were lazy. They were teachers. They were businessmen. They were security agents. They were, what I mean, like, they were in the military. They were in the police. They were, in, what, they were civil servants. But they lived for eternity. Whatever they did on the earth, they did as an assignment from God. So they did not fight for positions. If people are backstabbing and sowing seeds for promotion, you never find them there. One day, meter will be DG. It doesn't concern them. But when government says, be at work by 8, they go there at 8. Work, do everything you're supposed to do, they will do it at 4 o'clock. Close at 4, they will close at 4.30. Go a little extra. And they go in the evenings to their Bible studies. Now, this interesting part. Yes, they did not build houses. They did not. Yes, they had only two sheds. Yes, they did not have the things of this world, but they were not lazy people. That's the point I'm trying to emphasize. If God allows us, we'll have taught it. So God can take even prosperity that people are fighting for and put in the hands of such people. They were faithful people. 
but they did not love their lives. And they taught us like that's what I learned from them. But when we brought the gospel of prosperity, we lied against them. They did not know the truth. That can you say, give me the whole world, uh, take the whole world and give me Jesus. Say, give me Jesus and give me the whole world. Except that they don't go together. Love not the world or the things that are in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why do we write things that are so clear from scriptures? If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. He said, love not the world, John said, or the things that are in the world. What we not do was that we said, no, we have a way of loving the world and loving Jesus. We have a new technology that John did not know. Jesus should learn from us. We can serve him and serve mammon. We give to Jesus what belongs to Jesus and give to mammon what belongs to mammon. Is it not in the scriptures? We turn it. So after a while, the result of their own was that revival broke out in the land. The result of their own dedication was that we're having crusades and people were getting healed. We're having crusades and we saw blind eyes open. We're having crusades and seeing miracles. Then when our own generation came, to have a miracle in a crusade, we pay somebody. That was the effect of our own, what we began to preach. They said, take the whole world and give me Jesus. Miraculous power came into their lives. We said, we have a way of combining the world and Jesus. Ichabod, the glory departed. Let me say it again. There's a warning of God upon the church of this generation. That return to your first love. Otherwise, I will come and remove your candlestick from its place. What is the first love here? Loving the Lord alone. Not loving the world or the things that are in the world. Paul says something. I'm not saying, get out of the world, get out of the world. He said, no. What I'm trying to say is that I'm not saying that, hey, don't go to work tomorrow. But where's your focus? You can't be fighting for promotion like everybody else is fighting for it. Each time God gives an assignment for the day, tomorrow he'll give you a new one. If he promotes you in the process, fine. If he doesn't, I'm sorry, you stay where you are. You relax your life. If he decides he's not giving you what people call prosperity, you will say, I will still serve you. It's so important. What I feel like drumming into us today is this. Listen, we have no business expecting any compensation from God. What we just have a business to hold him to his faithfulness that he will take care of us. This story I tell you once in a while. One of the reasons why I don't like telling is that it always, if I tell it in my home, it brings tears to my eyes. If I tell it on the pulpit, it brings tears to my eyes. If I wonder I was sitting here, my wife said, Hey, oh Pari, this man is about to start crying. Because it's 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 a story that don't worry, I will, today I will not cry, don't worry. I just have to tell it again. John G. Lake said, you want to know how the power of God came to South Africa with us? I will tell you. This is a man in a few years that he stayed there. I don't have my figures off head now. All right? They established thousands of churches. Listen, there was outbreak. One of his men, the plague broke out. One of the men prayed until they tapped into the mercy of God and God said, it has become, and I'm putting my own words because of new understanding I have, it has become the oppression of the enemy. Then they drove away the demons out of the, 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 out of the place. Next day, disease stopped. A last Letuaba, South African, you know, black man that was working with John G. Lake. 
He said one day, he went to look for the man. He said he went to pray for a child that was sick. He got there. Jin Lake said, I have some training in medicine, a bit of medical training. So I took the child that was sick, and I realized the child fell from the mother's back and broke the neck. And of course, he knew there was nothing they could do. This is a village. Suppose I look at the child. Ah, the neck is broken. He said, Elias looked at him like this and sensed unbelief. He too, he realized, he gave the child back to Elias and ran away. He went and went and stayed under a tree. So I will stay there. When you are done, call me. He said, because I realized that there was so much faith in that man that I did not have. So he went and stayed under a tree and fell asleep. After a while, Elias came, tapped him. Let's go. He said, how's the child? He said, the child, the child is well. He ran back and said, I picked up the child. The neck that was broken was healed. The child was back to life, fit completely. John Lee G. Lake, that brought the gospel from America, he shouted, God, whatever be the unbelief inside me, please, you need to get it out now. That look at this kind of miracle by the hands of this local man that I educated in South Africa. An illiterate man. He said when he saw the man, the man was tying goat skin and walking barefoot. When he met for the first time. That's the kind of work they had. He said, but how did they produce it? For time's sake, I'll just summarize it. His missionaries, the men that worked with mostly white men, they went into the villages. There was no money. He told them to come back. He said, they said, we can't come back. That the only thing we want you to do is that when you, we die, come and bury. And they will die, you go and bury. He said, that's how the gospel entered. Not the one that this joke we crack this is praise God. <laughs> Who wants a blessing today? You come to the front right now and say, God, this is my 50,000 naira. It's for 50 hours of blessing. Pastor is a liar. Congregation is covetous. Their God is their belly. Everybody is looking for what they will eat. The sign of a church that's making progress, the Laudation Church, is the size of the car that we bought for our pastor. So everybody has to open a branch in Portaco, Lagos, Abuja, because that is where the money is flowing. And listen, let me give you my prophetic word again before I come down. Jesus said, the church in Nigeria, listen to me. Return to your first love. Otherwise, I will come and remove your candlestick from its place. People of God, we need to count our cost and follow him. Let me just stop preaching here. I think I've made the point for today. If the Lord allows us, we'll continue it next time and round up whatever is remaining. Can we just bow our heads and begin to pray? I'm going to give you five minutes. Five minutes, yes. Exactly five minutes. Just talk. Whatever you are listening to me from, you can be listening to me, watching this from Australia, from Enugu here, from Lagos, from whatever. Say, Lord, accept me. Take me. Lord, I want to save. I'm not asking for anything again. I just want to save you. You own me. You own me. You own me. Say, Lord, remove from me the loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, and the pride of life. The things that are inside the world. Say, Lord, I understand. Serving you is my life. It's not an investment. You need to say that to the Lord today. Say, Lord, serving you is my life. It's not an investment. I'm not serving you so you can bless me. I'm serving you because you own me. I say, do whatever you want to do with my life. There's one song we learned those days. 
Lord, I'm available to you. Lord, will I yield to you? And do what you say, do use me, Lord, to show someone the way and enable me to say, my storage is empty and I am available to you. Say to the Lord, you are available to him to do whatever. Listen, I want to talk about the will of God. People say the will of God. Who does God want me to marry? We look at the will of God as the man who will take care of me, the woman who will bear me children. The woman, no, 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 no. Is the one with whom I will fulfill the purpose of God for my life. That is the will of God. Say, Lord, I want to do your will. Where am I supposed to go? What is the will of God? It doesn't mean the place I'll go and doors will open and plenty of money will flow. It's the place where I am going to put the influence of Jesus on this earth. Where God has said, go and be my present there. Everywhere he wants to go, he sends people two by two ahead. The place where I'm supposed to be, the one he wants to, he wants to send ahead. That is the will of God. The will of God is not... Look, it's the Christianity of worldliness that the will of God is calculated in financial returns. Which church is the will of God? The one that grew to be 1,000 in one day, in one year. You say, ah, that man is anointed. Listen to me. In fact, one of the biggest churches in Africa, Sadhu said the pastor is number one false prophet. Forget that thing. There are people in different places. God said, listen, occupy with this until I come. And he gave them some talents, some people. From their congregation is going to come the next generation of leaders and you know, gospel preachers and business leaders on the continent. The church is no more than 50. It's, maybe it's in Zimbabwe. Maybe it's in Kenya. Maybe it's in Cameroon. Maybe it's in Nigeria. But a man has run to where he can gather 10,000 goats who are not useful to the Lord. And he says the will of God because... He has built a house now, and he has a car. Say, Lord, I'm available to you. Let's sing that song. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. I'm satisfied, I'm satisfied. Sing one more time. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. I'm satisfied, I'm satisfied.